Hey, we want to welcome you uh, this morning. This is the last Sunday in September in perhaps the craziest year of our lifetime. Uh, many of us are uh, already going, how in the world are we in September, uh, let alone kind of uh, heading towards the last quarter of the year and probably in some ways praying that this year will end. Uh, but the good thing about this year is that we were able to, in some ways, uh, from the Scriptures, think about the idea of hindsight being 2020. And uh, I think many of us are going to look back over the course of the year 2020, and there's going to be a lot of life lessons we've learned. There's going to be a lot of things that we're going to look back at and we're going to uh, think about differently. And my prayer is, is that we wouldn't do that just for the year 2020, but that we would do that throughout our life. That we would take uh, the idea of uh, hindsight and then instead we would turn it into the idea of biblical wisdom that's called foresight. That we would have the ability to see and know uh, from the Word of God the things that we should be putting in place in our life. And today, as we uh, dive into Proverbs chapter 30, we're going to look at verses 15 and 16. Uh, but as we do, uh, I am reminded of a story about the ring-tailed monkey. Uh, the retail, a ring-tailed monkey is one of the most sought-after uh, sought animals there is for uh, zoos around the world. Uh, it's a it's in the Lemur family, and this monkey is not only beautiful, uh, but it's very difficult for most people to catch. It is the most difficult to catch for uh, people that go to the southern part of Africa to catch this monkey. But there is a native tribe there, they're called the Zulus, that have no problem catching this monkey and have done it for quite some time. And this is how they catch the monkey. They take a, a, a melon and they carve out a very small little hole in the side of the melon for the monkey. And then they hang it in a, uh, in a nearby place. And that monkey will gravitate to the, to the melon because it is a delight to their eye and it is also delicate to their taste buds. And they love this melon and so, so much that they'll stick their hand into the melon for its seeds and its fruit to, to pull out and eat. The problem is, is that monkeys are just a little bit more intelligent than sheep, uh, which means they're not that intelligent. And the problem is, is they go in for the fruit, it makes their fist bigger than the hole. And so because their fist is now clenched with fruit in the middle of it, they try to pull out their fist from the hole and they cannot get their fist out of this tiny little hole. So they can slide it in, they can't get it out. And all they have to do is let their little greedy fingers go of the fruit. But instead, for hours upon hours, they will continue to wrestle with the seeds and the fruit inside, hoping to put it to their, li their, to their lips, and they will not. And so the Zulus, uh, the tribe, will sweep in, and they'll capture monkey after monkey after monkey because that little monkey's greed is too much. Well, uh, as we dive into Proverbs chapter 30, this guy named Agur, uh, this unsuspecting guy that we don't hear a whole lot about in scriptures outside of Proverbs 30, is going to add some great wisdom in these two verses. We've already learned over the last handful of weeks what it looks like to build our life on a firm foundation, that is, on the rock of Jesus Christ. We've learned what it looks like to uh, not live in falsehood or lies, but to build our, our hope in the trust of God's Word. We've known what it's like to not become, in some ways, pharisaical, that we would, in some ways, say, hey, we, we look good, and we're like what Jesus would call in Matthew 23, the Pharisee, whitewashed tombs. Look good on the outside, but on the inside, we're wasting away. We're like dead men's bones. Oh, not to be, in some ways, like those who clean the outside of the cup, but the inside of the cup is still nasty. 
Well, all of these things we've learned from this guy named Agur. But look what he says in verses 15 and 16. He says these words. The leech has two daughters. Give and give. And then he says three things are never satisfied. Four, never say enough. Now, I don't know about you, but you may be for the first time reading this, and you go, what in the world is he talking about? Or he's what he's saying. He goes, the leech has two dollars. Now, a leech is this little bloodthirsty creature that um, is in swamps and in ponds, and it loves to attach itself to any type of animal or any victim that would come its way. And the leech has two daughters, identical twins, who in some ways are just like the learned traits of their mother. And they will attach to its victim, and they continually say these words, give and give. So as a leech attaches itself to whatever victim it is, they never are satisfied. There's never enough that will appease them. They just want more and more and more and more. Their names are give and give. But Agar goes, but I guess it's not just elites that would say that. Maybe there's three things that are never satisfied. And then he goes, oh, no, 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 there's four. And so he, in some ways, he tells us what four additional things are. Not just the leech, but four more. And then he gives those four to us in verse 16. He says, Sheol, the barren womb, the land that's never satisfied with water, and the fire that never says enough. So he goes, not just does the leech and all of its family never have enough, but he goes, that's true of Sheol. Now, Sheol is a is a place that you'll see in the scriptures that would in many ways uh, be synonymous with the place that you and I know growing up in church as hell. Uh, Sheol is a place where um, those who are apart from God go and they dwell. And what Agur is saying is Sheol never is satisfied with enough. Sheol would love for one more soul in torment, in darkness, to live apart from God forever. And Sheol would love to have more and more and more people die apart from God. Sheol is never satisfied. They want more and more and more. But it's not just Sheol, but Agur says it's also true of the barren womb. That if there is a woman who is barren, that she in many ways always has an aching, always has a longing in the depths of her being for a child, very similar to that of, of uh, Sarah and Abram. They longed for a child. In many ways, a barren woman would always long. They, they want more. There's never a, a quenching or a satisfaction, per se. But he goes, that's not just true of Sheol and the barren woman, but it's also true of the land. The land is never satisfied. I mean, even think about us as, as you know, people who live on the land. I mean, we get an inch of rain and we want two more inches. Uh, we get two more inches and we want a little more. Then we finally get five inches and we are going, okay, it's, it's enough. We've had eight inches in the last few weeks. Okay, tap the brakes. But that's not what the earth says. The earth says, give me more. The earth, the land is never satisfied. It's thirst is never quenched. It wants more and more and more. And so that's true for the leech. It's true for, uh, true for Sheol. It's true for a barren woman. It's true for the land. But it's also true for the fire is what Agur says. The fire always delights for more. Uh, last night we uh, had a fire outside and you can never stoke the fire enough. It will consume all of the wood that you give it. And it doesn't matter how small or how big the fire is. You can continue to give it more and more and more. And it has this indelible desire to still have more. The fire says, never enough. 
So as you read these two verses, these uh, two verses literally tucked in the middle of this passage, you, you got to wonder, well, what in the world is he talking about? And it's really this one word that we all struggle with as Americans. And we oftentimes confuse this word and this idea with what we would call the American dream or the pursuit of happiness. And it's this word greed. So we think that more stuff equals happiness. But the challenge is that Ager says the more stuff you long for, the more things you have, it becomes greed. And greed is literally just the intense or selfish desire for something, especially, say, wealth or power or possessions or could be influence or could be more land or food or any of those things. It's, a, it's an appetite or a hunger, a craving, a thirsting after more. As we think about uh, what that looks like, we can oftentimes think about the Pharisee, the one that we learned about last week. Matter of fact, uh, Jesus it would even say about the Pharisees in Luke chapter 16 that they loved money. So they didn't just love the places in the synagogues or high seats. They didn't just love uh, power and knowledge and fame, but they also loved money. In many ways, they were people that were pursuing uh, God with their lips, but their hearts seemed to be far from Him. And friends, I don't know about you, but I think that could be true of many of us. I really believe that it's true of the American church. By and large, there are many of us that we continually have lips that service God and we say thank you, but our hearts say to God, there's still more. And we are not satisfied. In many ways, you could say we're not content. And so if we're not content, then it means that we are possibly and potentially greedy in our own way. And so here's what I want you to realize is that greed opposes God's heart. Greed opposes God's heart. Um, think about it like this. Greed is not just about acquiring more, but oftentimes it's about keeping more. See, we want more. Uh, we desire more. We struggle with contentment. But it's not just about acquiring it, but we also we keep it. We want to keep it to ourselves. And we want to continue to build, in some ways, our own kingdom. The question that you got to ask yourself is, is, can a people of God who claim to love God also um, be in opposition to him? And the answer is absolutely. And the reason why is because we need to think about who God is and his character. See, God is not a, a God that in many ways opposes um, generosity. He loves generosity and loves to be gracious. We think about God, we need to think about how generous he is to us. The giver of all good things. He is also the giver of eternal life. Matter of fact, you think about Matthew chapter 3, verses 16. Uh, it just simply says that for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him would not perish, but have everlasting life. I mean, think about the generosity of God. Like he was willing to go to a place of lowliness. Philippians 2, that says that Jesus didn't even consider debt uh, something he was obedient to death, death on the cross. He didn't consider equality with God something to be grasped, is what he says. The reality is, is that he was willing to give himself. Matthew tells us that he didn't come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. So we see the heart of God in the way that Jesus gives himself up. And we need to realize that um, greed in our lives opposes the heart of God. Greed's a bottomless pit. It will never satisfy. It is, uh, in some ways, an endless chasing and a striving. Solomon would say it's like chasing after the wind. And greed is something that oftentimes just takes over our heart. 
Jesus says these words in Matthew chapter 6. And I think he's speaking to the heart of those who would claim to love God, but their hearts are far from him in greediness. He says this in verse 19. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy or where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Jesus says that in many ways, uh, wherever your heart is, is, uh, is where your treasure is. And so what is it that you're treasuring? Billy Graham said this way, uh, oftentimes if you want to know what a man treasures, look at his pocketbook. You could pull out a checkbook and you can see what it is that a person values. Jesus goes on and says this in verse 22. He goes, the eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness? So he's going, hey, listen, uh, we, we can't claim in some ways that we love God, but we're building a kingdom on earth for ourselves. We can't say that God is generous and yet we continue to acquire things for our own keeping. Jesus goes, that doesn't make sense. He even says this in verse 24. He goes, no one can serve two masters. He goes, for either he'll hate one and love the other, he'll be devoted to one and despise the other. And then he says this, you cannot serve God and money. And the word there in the Greek is the word mammon, uh, which literally means material blessings. So what he's saying is, he goes, hey, you, if you're opposing God's heart, then you're revealing the darkness in your own. So to, to oppose God is to reveal something about yourself. And so that's what I want to just help you understand is that when you oppose God, you reveal something about your own heart. And so uh, that's what I want you to realize. Greed just reveals our, our heart. See, greed's not a financial issue. It's a heart issue. But friends, as Americans, we make it a financial issue. Uh, we, we keep more and more and more because we think that we need more and more and more. And we do it with oftentimes very knowledgeable words. The reason that we build big bank accounts is so that we have security and we have safety. And not only do we have security and safety, but we in some ways have the pressure uh, or the onus in our lives that we need to build safety and security for our kids as well. And so what we do is we, we store up and we store up. But here's the challenge with Americans is that we don't have real big bank accounts. We always want more, but we do have full houses and full garages, don't we? Isn't it crazy that we, we struggle with the idea of greed, but not only do we have full houses and then don't, not only do we have full garages, but do y'all know what? Listen, lean in with me. There are a lot of us that we pay for extra buildings to put our stuff in every month. And you would say, oh, I'm not greedy. I'm not greedy. But listen, there are buildings we pay for monthly that most people in the Zulu people I shared with you, that they don't even have that nice of a place to live in. See, we are beyond wealthy, but not only are we beyond wealthy, we are beyond stingy. We are a greedy people. Now, greed is not just something that we struggle with as Americans, but it's something that we struggle with as people who love the Lord. And I'll tell you, greed is something that is not only perverse, but it really brings damage to our soul. Proverbs, uh, or I'm sorry, Psalm chapter 10, verse 3 says this, For the wicked boast of the desires of his soul, and the one greedy for gain curses and renounces the Lord. So it says the wicked is the one who boasts in the desires of his soul, or the desires of his flesh, per se. And it goes, and the one that's greedy 
he does it and he renounces the Lord. So our greed, in a sense, is, is showing our heart's opposition to a generous and a faithful God. So we can't claim to keep everything for ourselves and to build bigger houses and nicer barns and then load them up with stuff and then claim to say with our mouths, oh, I love God. Jesus goes, no, they don't go together. It's not synonymous to love God and then keep so much stuff for yourself. Now, the reason I say that is not to guilt you over a nice house or nice belongings. It has nothing to do with guilting you or serving uh, you in this message by compulsion. That's not the point. The point is, is to realize that we have to be careful to say with our lips that we love God and then our hearts be far from Him in form and in function. And I think that's really the point. Now, the reason I say that, too, is that you need to realize that you know that in the American church, um, the average person gives 2% in the American church. So if you grew up in, in, a, in, a, in a church, you've always heard that you should give 10%. Uh, I, I don't think that's really what the Lord desires of those who live in a, in a covenant relationship with Him on this side of the cross. I think what He desires is generosity, which we'll talk about. But the reality is, is that most people within the, the, the local church in America are not generous at all. We give 2% on average. Statistics would tell you that also not only do just people give 2% of what they earn, but 50% of all churchgoers today do not give anything to the local church. They just don't give at all. And so we have high expectations of our happiness We desire ministries and we desire uh, messages and we desire music and we desire lots of things for us to seek fulfillment, but we give nothing or very little to a cause that expands the kingdom. Isn't that a challenge when we think about it in that way? Well, our greed just reveals our heart. Paul writes to the church in Ephesus and he says this in Ephesians chapter 4 and he's encouraging them to no longer... um, live as the Gentiles. And when he says the Gentiles, in one way you could say he's almost encouraging to no longer live as pagans. So he goes, just don't live like you live in darkness. He goes, remember what God's called you to and what he's called you from. And so he says these words in Ephesians 4, beginning in verse 17. He goes, now this I say, and I testify in the Lord, that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do. So don't walk in the way of sin. Don't walk in the way of the desires of your soul or flesh. Because they do so in the futility of their minds. Verse 18 says they are darkened in their understanding. So apparently their eye is not working, is what Jesus would say in Matthew chapter 6. He goes, they are alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardness of their heart. He goes, there is something, the futility they're chasing is tied to their heart. Amen? Listen, Our life goes as our heart goes, is what Paul is saying. That's what Jesus is saying. In verse 19, it says, They have become callous, and they have given themselves up to sensuality. And then look what it says. And they are greedy to practice every kind of impurity. See, greed is not just about wealth, friends. Greed is about a lifestyle. Greed is about keeping things for ourselves, And it could be sinful patterns. It could be sensuality. It could be a hard heart. It could be a critical spirit. It could be power. It could be fame. It could become notoriety. It could be titles within the church. It could be wanting to be esteemed, wanting to be applauded, frustrated when you're not thanked enough. It's not just about money and possessions. It's about a way of the heart. 
And Paul says, you have to be careful. And here's why. Because in verse 20, he goes, that is not the way that you learned Christ. He goes, it's impossible for you to be greedy or searching after things, ill motives of the heart, and claim that you know and that you've learned Christ and His ways. He goes, those values don't line up. Verse 21, he goes, assuming that you have heard about Him and were taught in Him, meaning Jesus, as the truth is in Jesus, you should put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life that is corrupt through deceitful desires. And you should be renewed in the spirit of your minds, Put on the new self, created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and in holiness. Here's what I think when I read this passage. I think about a gracious and generous God who gave His Son up for us to change our lives. Amen? Amen. And to change our hearts to take our hearts from being sensual and dark and greedy and keeping things for ourselves to learn Christ, to put away the former things and to walk in the goodness of God, to have our hearts renewed, our, 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 our minds renewed, our hearts transformed, become new creations that in many ways bestow and give the generosity of our God. And we do that by making less of ourselves and more of others. And we don't do it just in our lifestyle, but friends, we can do it with our generosity and our belongings. Peter says it in 2 Peter chapter 2, and I'm not going to read it to you, but in verses really 13, 14 and following, he just says, those who are, in a sense, hard-hearted or wicked or pagans or Gentiles or living in the old flesh, he goes, they revel in the daytime. Meaning they don't even try to hide it too much. They're, they revel in their deceptions. They feast with you. They have eyes that are full of adultery. He goes, they're insatiable for sin. And not only that, but they take down other people with them. They take down unsteady souls. And he goes, and they have their hearts trained in greed. That's incredible. And then he says this, they're accursed children. So what he's saying is, in many ways, he goes, those who are not following after God and delighting in His ways, in His generosity, in His goodness, he goes, they're accursed children and their hearts are far from God. Why? Because Jesus says, you cannot love both God and mammon, possessions. Listen, can I tell you, probably the one thing, maybe the, the biggest thing that ever competes with God is possessions. I think about the, uh, the, the rich young ruler in the Gospels who um, all he had to do was give up his possessions and follow Jesus, give it to the poor, and he did not do it. One thing that will keep a believer from fulfilling all that God has for them is stinginess. And it probably is one of the last characteristics of a believer to come along in their faith. And so listen, if you have a hard time being generous, what that probably needs to do is just wake you up to the fact that one, you're not revealing God's heart. And number two, you have some more progress to do in your faith journey. It's not the single factor that produces fruitfulness, but it is one thing that you should pay attention to because greed does not reflect the heart of God, but it reveals the darkness in our own heart. Matter of fact, we should know that like this is such a challenge that greed is a snare, a trap, to be avoided. Just as uh, the ring-tailed monkey is seduced by a melon, you and I can be seduced by things of the world. 
Proverbs 15, 27 says this, Whoever is greedy for unjust gain troubles his own household, but he who hates bribes will live. He goes, if you are being seduced in worldliness, you're taking bribes or gifts or ways to get rich quick. He goes, you need to be careful of that. That is a sign that you're about to be ensnared, that you're about to be trapped. He goes, those who hate bribes will live. What he's saying is, is those who love an honest day's wage, who work hard with their hands, who save wisely, who build wealth away uh, that, that blesses and, and honors the Lord. He goes, those are wise people. And listen, there's few of them. Ecclesiastes chapter 5, verse 10, Solomon writes this. He goes, he who loves money will not be satisfied with money, nor he who loves wealth with his income. This is also vanity. What Solomon goes, he goes, he who loves money is never going to be satisfied with money. Uh, over a couple of decades ago, there was a survey taken among Americans, and they asked the question, hey, what would it take for American to be satisfied? And they they polled Americans of all different statuses and, and places in, uh, in their wealth. And those who had $10,000 came up with a number. Those who had $40,000 came up with a number. And those who had $100,000 or $200,000 came up with a number. And in every case, Americans said that in order for them to be financially secure and for them to have everything they needed and to feel like they were wealthy, they simply took the number they had in their bank account at the time and they doubled it. So the ones that had $10,000 thought they needed 20. And the one who had 20 thought they needed 40. And the one who had 40 needed 80. You get the point? The one who needed 100, 000, had 100,000 thought they needed 200,000. And isn't that true of us? Well, the crazy thing is, is that it doesn't really matter what's in your bank account. It doesn't change our heart. And can I just be really honest with you? I can think of two different times in the last about 16 or 18 years where my heart has been seduced by greed. I can think of a time in the last year that even as I shared with the journey group guys, that I can see promptings in my heart to pay attention to where greed can overcome me. And greed doesn't overcome me simply by my bank account, but it's the desire to have more. Matter of fact, right now in this season, um, I can look at our bank accounts and Kelly um, has, by God's grace, has been back at work for over a year. We've been able to save more in the last year than we have in the last 10 years combined. And it's been a blessing. But it doesn't change the fact that even though I have more in my bank account, that the position of my heart can still be wrong. And so two times in the last um, 20 years, I can think of times where I've had plenty in the bank account, but I used what was in the bank account to try to get me more. So about 2004, 2005, I had a buddy that pitched a really solid stock pitch, um, prayed about it, um, had lots of convincing evidence. It was a penny stock, hadn't even hit the market yet, but promised that it's going to. Put $10,000 down, $10,000 of my own money, hoping that this was the ticket. This was the thing. Y'all ever done that? Anybody in here ever done that? I'm the only idiot in here. Okay, praise the Lord. I'm sure there's somebody in Edgewood, right? Um, so... He, I thought, hey, if we, if we hit it, this is great. We're going to hit it. This is going to be it. And listen, that hadn't just happened to me once. It's happened to me twice. And listen, it's not just happened to me twice, but I'm, I'm tempted to make it happen thrice. Because anytime you got a good deal and I got a little extra money sitting around and there's a way for me to double or triple or in, with God's grace to produce a hundredfold my income, I am all in. You ever done that? 
The challenge is, is Solomon goes, hey, listen, even if you have more wealth, it'll never satisfy. Why? Because it's a place that your heart goes that in many ways reveals the darkness in your own. It forgets the generosity of our great God in whom we can trust in even when our bank account is low. And friends, that I think is the lesson that many of us have to learn. Proverbs 1 verse 19 says this, Such are the ways of everyone who is greedy for unjust gain that it takes away the life of its possessors. See, we can know God, we can claim that we love God, but if we continue to chase things that don't satisfy, whether it be greed or power or food or, or money or prestige or whatever, what it does is, is it sucks the life out of those who are unquenched. So I think about the leech. I mean, I think about the leech and all of its victims, how it attaches itself and just sucks them and drains them dry, never has enough. Their daughters are give and give. But what the Proverbs are telling us is that the leech is the one who is sucked dry because it's in their insatiable thirst. They want more and more and more. It doesn't matter what they get. They never come to the place where they're satisfied. And that is a dangerous place to live. Agar has already said that it is a wonderful thing in life to be content. The problem is when you're not, it actually takes out the life of the one who quenches for more, not its victims. It takes is the life of the one who, who thirsts for more, not its victims. It means that you and I are the victim when our hearts are not content. Proverbs 20, verse 21 says this, an inheritance claimed too soon will not be blessed at the end. See, I think a lot of us think, well, hey, if I could just get my hands on what I need now, then it'll be fine. But Proverbs 20, verse 21 goes, but if you, if you claim an inheritance too soon, it's not going to be a blessing for you. Like, it's not going to end well for you. And I can't help but think about Luke chapter 15. Jesus tells a parable to a group of sinners and a group of Pharisees. He, he tells three stories, one about a lost sheep, one about a lost coin, and then one about a lost son that we would call the prodigal son. If you know the story in Luke chapter 15, the prodigal son goes to his father, who's a rich Jewish man, and says, hey, father, can I have my share of my inheritance? I know you haven't died, and I know that not all of it's mine, but I want what's mine so I can go and I can live. In some ways, he had this insatiable thirst or an appetite to have and get all he could now. He thought that his best life was before him when he had all that he could acquire. His father reluctantly agreed. This young man takes, and we know the story, he squanders everything he has in wild living. In his pursuit of happiness, in his own Jewish dream, he decides that he's going to go and he's going to be, he's going to be the, the, the life of the party. He's going to be the one that's acclaimed. He's going to be the one that receives accolades and prizes. And as he makes a name for himself, he squanders all of his wealth. As he makes a name for himself, he squanders all of his wealth. Hits rock bottom, feeding with the pigs. He realizes that it would be better to live with his father than to continue his life the way that it is. See, friends, I think the point of acquiring an inheritance now means that you're compromising what God desires for you in the next life. Isn't that what Jesus is talking about? And if you want to if you want to gain the world now, that's great. But you're going to forfeit your soul. Jesus goes, hey, listen, you got to be careful. Because as an American, as a Jewish man, hey, wealth can in some ways give you comfort. It can give you security. In some ways, it can give you a name. 
but you'll miss out on the comfort and the security and the name above all names, the one who gives eternal life. So if we know that our greed opposes God and our greed in some ways reveals the darkness of our own heart, we know that that uh, is something that should be a trap to be avoided, then the question is, is, what is God's heart? And what does He really desire for us? And here's what I would say is, it's generosity. See, generosity reveals God's heart. We know that in Him giving His Son. And then isn't it amazing that God didn't just give His Son for some people, but He would give it to all who would believe in Him? Romans 10, 9 and 10, any that would believe in their heart, confess with their mouth, could know the Lord? See, wouldn't it be crazy that if God just in some ways gave His Son for one or two or three of us, only for those of us who had it together, wouldn't that be kind of a crazy thought? Isn't that how we think about our wealth? Like, we'll give our wealth to certain people. I mean, as long as they're family members or as long as they're, they're close friends. But the question is, is, what is it that prohibits us from being generous in all of our ways? It's our heart. But God is generous. And what delights Him is when we too reflect the generosity of our God by sharing generosity of all that He's given us. It reminds me, and I'll close with this passage in 2 Corinthians chapter 9. Paul writes to the church of Corinth, and he goes, hey, here's the point. He says, whoever sows sparingly will reap sparingly. And whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. What he says is, he goes, hey, it's a simple it's a simple illustration of a farmer. He goes, a farmer after every crop will have seeds. What he does with those seeds is really important. He can consume all the seeds if he wants. He can take them and, uh, and eat them all at his house. Or he could take some of those seeds and have the fill of his stomach. He could even take, um, after eating some of that fruit, he could give some of the fruit away. And he could even share some of the seeds. But he goes, you have a choice. You either consume everything or you consume some, give some, and save some. You either consume some, give some, and save some, or you consume it all. Those who are greedy, they cannot see life beyond that day, and they consume it all. They hoard it for themselves. But those who know and trust God realize that God has given them, in a sense, manna for the day. He, they've given, uh, he's, God's given a provision to, to be kept and a provision to be shared. And anytime we do that, we're thinking about God and about what it looks like to sow bountifully so that we reap bountifully. Verse 7, he goes, each one must give as he has decided in his heart. So he takes this sowing principle and he moves it to a giving principle. He goes, not reluctantly or under compulsion, meaning you shouldn't be guilted into it. If you're guilted into it, he goes, you're not really giving with the generosity of God. Why? Because God wasn't guilted into sending his son. You and I didn't manipulate God. We didn't guilt God. We didn't put him on some um, crazy uh, guilt compulsion trip that he goes, hey, I got to give my son. That's not what he did. He gave it willingly. He knew what he was, was sowing. He knew what he would reap. He goes, God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. And then he says this in verse 9, As it is written, He has distributed freely. That's our God. He has given to the poor, and His righteousness endures forever. He has not bestowed any good gift. All good gifts come from, a God, from, a, uh, from our God above. Verse 10 says, And He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and the increase of the harvest of your righteousness. 
So he takes this biblical principle he, about seed, he relates it and correlates it to our God, and then he goes, and you too can sow righteousness. You too can be what God is reflecting. In verse 11, he goes, and you will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way, which through us will reduce thanksgiving to God. For the ministry of this service is not only about the supplying of the needs of the saint, but is also overflowing and many thanksgivings to God. What I think Paul is saying is, he goes, hey, you can fulfill the, the, the law of Christ, not only in your love, but also in your giving and in your generosity. Now, here's what the law of Christ is. The law of Christ really sums up all the law of prophets, and Jesus says it this way. And Paul alludes to the law of Christ to being this. It is to love the Lord our God with all our heart, mind, soul, and strength. And the second command is similar, to love our neighbor as ourselves. Right? We talk about it in love, but one of the most loving things we can do is bestow a generous heart towards others. And the way we do that is realizing a handful of things. One, you got to realize that everything you have is from God. Every good thing is from God. Your bank account, your name, your life, your breath, all of it is from God. He is the one who gave you hands to provide it. He's the one who gave you strength and nourishment in your body to be able to do what you did. He's the one who gave you the mind to learn and acquire the tools and the resources and the intellectual properties to be able to have your job and to fulfill it in a way that pleases God. He is the one who provides for you. And because of that, he goes, if you'll take what I've given to you, he goes, you can do a few things with it. You can squander it. You can keep it all for yourself. And you can claim in some ways to be a God of your own. Or he goes, or you can trust me. And he goes, and it'll be like a farmer who trusts me for the next year. See, here's what a good farmer does. A good farmer is going to take some of the corn and he's going to consume some. He's going to give some to his buddies. And then he's going to save some and he's going to put it back because he knows that every kernel he saves is a harvest for the next year. And he does that with the okra and he does it with the green beans and he does it with the squash and he does it with the cucumber and he does it with the radish and everything else. He is saving in some ways the properties to invest the next year. If you consume it all, guess what? It's gone. But if you save some, give some, and get ready for the next year, it is a blessing to God. Why? Because it shows that God's the giver of all good things and you're going to trust Him in your life. And the way you trust Him is not taking what you get so that you can produce a huge harvest that in some ways you can't even manage. That's foolishness, right? That's what I am as a farmer. Bigger garden than I can ever even, even water. But that's foolish. He goes, what you ought to do is instead of thinking greed in your garden or in your bank account, know the Lord is giving us enough to live on, to give some, and to save some for future investments. And that's how we ought to be thinking through things. Friends, our generosity, our giving, our kindness, our generosity ought to all be geared to something that will outlast us. Like that's the purpose of the local church is, is that our grandkids 
will still hear the gospel. Listen, when I think about this local church that we're about to turn 10 years old and I'm going to, tonight to the church that helped plant us 10 years ago and I'm gonna spend some time in front of their body and I'm gonna thank them and I'm gonna be gracious to the pastor. I know that if they would have kept resources back in the day that we wouldn't exist. But they gave graciously. And because of that, hundreds of lives have come to know Christ and have been changed for eternity, all because of the generosity of a local church that right now is half or even a third of our size. But because of their generosity and because of their kindness and their goodness towards us, we continue to see the gospel flourish and advance in Vanzant County. But guess what? We have been a part of over a dozen of those churches that have spread across the world globally. And it all started with a handful of people in Dallas who trusted a foolish little uh, 30-year-old to go out and be faithful to God with the small things. And friends, that's what it's about. And when I think about Stone Point now in 2020, I want it to exist still in 2050. And I pray it's the most life-giving, most generous church in Van Zant County and potentially even in Texas. And I'll tell you, right now, I don't know that we could say that, but I pray that that would be our aim. I pray that we would be reflective of God's heart and that we would know that the work that God is doing here is not something to keep for ourselves, but it's something to give away. That we would be a part of something that outlasts us. Friends, that is the goal. And if that's going to happen, you need to realize that there's going to be another recession like the one in 2008 and the one that we almost entered in in 2020 and may still dip into. And if it's not in 2020, it's potentially going to be in 2030. See, the track record would be that since the Great Depression, we're going to have recessions, and there are, there are ebbs and there are flows, just like there is in life. So here's what I would tell you, that you need to prepare for it now. And the way you prepare for it is not to build big houses and big barns and fill them up, but to live on less, to give thanks to the God who's blessed us with all good things, to keep some, to sow some, and to be a blessing to others. Friends, would you please consider sowing generously? Friends, I get it. And probably one of the craziest scenes of our life, you know what happens in our insecurity and our need to be secure? We look at our bank account and we go, oh, whoa, 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 whoa. And we, we dial back on all of our generosity because we think that if something should go first, it should be our generosity. The problem is, is aren't you so thankful that the God you serve didn't dial back on his generosity when things got tough? But that's when you ramp it up. That's when you trust God more. That's when the church is made known. It's in hard times that the church steps up and becomes the most generous people on the earth. And if I'm really honest with you, I think we're struggling in this area. Like we, I, th I think here in the local body, we're struggling a little bit. And I get it because I don't think we ever do it intentionally. I think we do it because our heart in some ways wants to be secure. But see, Jesus says, seek me and my kingdom and my righteousness. What he's saying is just make sure that your heart's not aligned in two places. The world, your comfort, your satisfaction, and your big bank accounts. But that you would trust him and that you would say, Lord, let me be what you want me to be. And let me be generous in all things.
Let me pray for us, church. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your word. I pray, God, that you would spur us on towards love and good deeds. I pray that you would help us to not give under compulsion or guilt, but, Lord, that we would give generously because we know it reflects the heart of our good and our gracious God. Every good and perfect gift we have is from above. Lord, every good thing comes from our good and gracious Father. Thank you, most of all, for the good gift of forgiveness found through your Son, Jesus Christ. Thank you that we can have life and have it eternally. Lord, I pray that we wouldn't claim to have life, but continue to hoard things for ourselves. May we build a kingdom that is unshakable, as the writer of Hebrews says, and that will always live forever. One that never spoils or fades away. One where thieves don't break and steal and raw, uh, rust doesn't destroy and moths don't eat it away. Lord, may we build something that lasts in our generosity. We love you. We thank you. And we praise you for the words of Agur and his wisdom. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Church, check this out.